Attention, Beyond the Mask listeners, we need your help. We truly appreciate you tuning in as we peel back the layers of the CRNA and APRN industries, sharing the stories that lie beyond the mask. It's your support that makes our community strong and our podcast possible. We're excited to share that Beyond the Mask has been recognized in the 18th annual People's Choice Podcast Awards. We're nominated in two prestigious categories, the coveted People's Choice Award and Best Healthcare Podcast. Our podcast isn't just about the stories we tell. It's about the connections we create with you, our listeners. And now we need your help to continue that mission. We're asking you to vote for us, please, in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Again, for the People's Choice Award and Best Healthcare Podcast. Your vote not only helps us win, but also spreads the word about our mission to demystify our corner of the healthcare industry one story at a time. To cast your vote, simply click on the link that's in the episode description. Voting closes on July 31st, so don't delay. We also encourage you to share this with your family, your friends, and your colleagues. Every vote counts, and we appreciate greatly your support. Thank you for being part of our journey and for making Beyond the Mask more than just a podcast. Here's to bringing more stories out of the shadows and into the light. So don't forget, vote for Beyond the Mask for the People's Choice Award and Best Healthcare Podcast. Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Hey there, this is Sharon. I am in Hershey, Pennsylvania at their state meeting. Jeremy couldn't join me here today. However, listeners, I have been joined by one of our new guest co-hosts, and his name is Mike Pierce. Can you believe it? We finally got him on the podcast. Many of you know him. Uh, I've known him for about 40 years and three months, been married to the man 40 years. But Pierce, thank you for joining me today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we kick off our topic today? I am actually the other half of Mrs. Sharon Pierce, and um, I am the legal husband of Sharon Pierce. I'm not like Jeremy, the work husband who has <laughs> fringes, who gets to leave at the end of the day and not have to hear her again. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is not starting out really well for you, but let's just go on and introduce our guest with us today. I would like to introduce Kristen Zeman. Did I say that correctly? Yes, that is perfect. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, she's got a great voice, too. 
Voice for Radio. Yes, mm. yes, yes. Well, Kristen, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Your bio is amazing. Pierce and I, as we were driving in, were ogling over it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. I just retired after 30 years in law enforcement. I actually started in my police department at the tender age of 17 years old as a police cadet. It's all I've ever wanted to do my entire life. And uh, I worked my way up through the ranks in my city, which is Aurora, Illinois. So it's 40 miles due west of Chicago for Mm. context for your listeners. It's the second largest city in the state of Illinois. And uh, I became the first female lieutenant in the history of the police department and went on to become the first female commander and then chief in 2016. So 2016, I took the helm of my department and uh, things were going swimmingly for the first few years. And then we had a mass shooting and uh, five people were killed and five of my officers were shot. And then we had a little thing called a pandemic, maybe you've heard of it, Mm. and uh, tried to figure out how to police during those times. And then a little incident happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota, that caused civil unrest. So uh, the last three years of my tenure were uh, quite challenging. A good leader never leaves in the middle of a crisis. So uh, I waited for the dust to settle and I got the hell out of there. Mm. And uh, I sat down uh, to reflect on all of the things that had happened throughout my career. And I wrote a book and it just kind of purged out of me. And uh, and it's a result of that book that I've been going around speaking. Uh, I talk about mass shooting prevention and preparation. And another passion of mine is empowering uh, people, uh, no matter what occupation they're in. So a lot of the lessons I learned throughout my 30 years transcend law enforcement and apply to all professions, which is why I'm here. Mm. Interestingly enough, our daughter, one of our daughters lives 17 blocks uh, from the incident in Minneapolis. No kidding. Yeah, they had to evacuate their yeah. house. I, I mean, it was it was absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. How long did it take you to write that book, by chance? Well, I had started writing the book just to kind of talk about leadership and and lessons I'd learned in 2018. And then the mass shooting happened, and I didn't touch it for about nine months. And it was when I left, when I officially retired, I sat down just to reflect. And and honestly, it only took me about six months. Um, And that's going back and forth with publisher and editor and making changes. But like I said, when I say it was a purge of the soul, it was absolutely all of the things. It was looking at my profession, what's right with it, what's wrong with it. And, and again, all the, the failures and the successes I've had over the years. But it was a labor of love, but about six months all in. Wow. All right, Pierce, I know that you're chomping at the bit. So Go easy on me, Pierce. I will. You were a cop for 30 years. Yes, 27 sworn and then three years as, an, as so, a cadet. So your listeners, I just want y'all to know, this lady does look, look like she's been a cop for 30 years. I'll and yet honest, I can kill you in 11 different ways. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the first time and, I've ever been told that. And but. you will like it on top of, on top of that. You were a cop for 30 years, so can you tell me what really propelled you to get to the point to to go do the book? I mean, just wanted something different to do or... Writing has been my passion over the years. It is, you know, when they call it that, you know, flow state and, you know, really my therapy. So when I was a young cop, uh, I actually started writing for the local newspaper. It was just a simple Mm. column, like ask the cop anything, where I would try to explain why we do the things we do and what to expect Mm -hmm. during a traffic stop. 
And uh, I continued that, and they actually, they literally, the newspaper gave me my own column. So I did that for years, and then it turned into a blog. So writing is my therapy. It's very cathartic for me. It helps me make sense of the things that happen. And so it was just a natural, you know, consequence to sit down and write a memoir about policing in my life. Wow. So, so you talked a lot about um, leadership. And those are some of the tenets that came out in your book, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I haven't had the opportunity to read your book. I'm so sorry. Is it on audio? It is. Oh, yes. my God. I can well, read we should, it to you. Uh, Pierce, I know what we're going to be listening to on our way back to North Carolina after this My meeting. daughter calls it Harvard on the highway when you listen to her book. I love it. I love it. So what are some of the tenets of leadership that you would like to share with our listeners that will be in your book? Well, that's a that's a loaded question because there are so many, but where to begin? You know, I think the first thing about leadership, first of all, I have no authority on the matter whatsoever. I don't want to give any listeners the idea that I'm some sort of expert. Most of what I have learned, sadly, has been by watching uh, what not to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, like Jerry bad, Spring? Yeah, bad leaders, bad leaders. And, you know, when, and I remember, you know, being a young cop and, having terrible supervisors, you know, that said, don't bother me, kid, you know, when I had a question. And so I started to take notes and I started to look at what wasn't working. And um, when I became a sergeant, I wanted to be the leader that I wanted. I wanted to be the boss I wanted. And so I didn't know the term for it, but it's servant leadership. And so when I became a sergeant, it was a with nine years uh, tenure. So I was supervising some guys that had been there for 30 years, and I had to figure out how to lead, you know, as a 30-year-old, how to lead, you know, these these uh, veteran officers. And the first thing I, re- I realized is that you have to basically take barriers away from your people. They, you know, in order for them to do their jobs, they need to be able to do it without having, you know, equipment issues. And so that was how I determined how to lead was, you know, what do you need from me? How can I serve you as a leader? So I think that was the very first lesson I got. And that was baptism by fire. And then as I moved through the ranks, you know, I I realized that, you know, people really, truly care about, they don't care about how how much you know, they care about how much you care, you know, and that was the thing that I learned the most is when I followed that intuition of, you know, human dignity and respect for not only my people, but, you know, internal stakeholders and external stakeholders. And so that was a big lesson that I learned as well is that it's not about borrowing power from your position. Um, It's truly about loving your people. You may not like them sometimes, mm-hmm. but you have to love your people, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to love your people more than you love your position. And so that's the, the, I would say the second thing. The third thing that I learned was when I became chief. And this is when everything falls on your shoulders. When you are the CEO of a company, when you are the, you know, the, the leader of whatever it is, your division, your unit, um, your organization, you don't get to point fingers anywhere and say, well, it's their decision. It's Mm -hmm. always your decision. And so I learned this when I went to Harvard and I'd like to pause there uh, because I went there for three weeks. I didn't actually go to Harvard, but I went to a program. (laughs) But, uh, um, and it was a professor that said to me, leadership is about disappointing people at the rate they can absorb. 
And I wasn't the chief at that time. I was a commander. And I remember thinking that guy had lost his mind. Everything I knew about leadership and studied was, you know, it's about inspiring people. It's about having a vision. It's about Mm -hmm. taking people where they ought to go, but don't necessarily know how to get there. And he crushed all of that for me. Mm -hmm. Leadership is about disappointing people. Mm. And then I got into the big chair and I made my first decision as the chief. And some people were pissed off about it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that is exactly what he meant by that is as a leader, you're going to make decisions that are going to upset people. But if you're doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons, um, then you have to stand firm with your decision. And so leadership is not easy and it's not for the faint of heart. So I would say those are probably the three highlights. Wow. Those, <laughs> Pierce and I, we both got the same adjectives oh, here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Those. Uh, and you got to be very thick skinned in order to be the chief of police. I yeah. mean, everybody's coming at you. Like mm-hmm. when Sharon was past president, I mean, mm-hmm. the people in that came after her, it was it was amazing. And you got to be tough. And and, and it might d- be people you love yeah. who are coming after you. That's right. And there's a, a I say this all the time is just because uh, people are in your circle doesn't mean they're in your corner. Right. True. Oh, my gosh, you are just full of pearls of wisdom here. I mean, you've given this a lot of thought. As I listen to it, it's things that go through your mind, but you've actually coalesced all of these ideas and put them down on paper. I think people out there need to get this book for sure. Um, Whenever you talk about purpose and you talk about purpose being viewed with a little P, what does that mean? So I got this from uh, a book called Drive. It's written by Daniel Pink, and he studies what motivates people. And he says that people are motivated by three things, doesn't matter what our profession is. We are motivated by autonomy, which is not being micromanaged, being able to do our job and, you know, having someone trust you to do that job. Mastery, which is competency. We want to be good at our jobs. It's, you know, I doubt if you ask anyone, hey, are you good at your job? And they say, nah, I'm kind of mediocre. Mm-hmm. We don't want that for ourselves. We want to be masters. And the third thing he says is purpose. And I push back a little bit on that concept because, you know, it's, it's true. I mean, aligning to something greater than yourself is what motivates us. But that sort of indicates that every morning we wake up when that alarm goes off. And, you know, here we are at the CRNA conference and, you know, that a beam of light just pulls us out of bed, you mm-hmm. know, and we are so excited to get to our jobs. And, and so, like, we know that we're out there doing good work, but we, it's hard to live in that space all the time because of what I call the thousand tiny cuts that happen in mm-hmm. our jobs and bad bosses and, you know, just all of the things, right? So what I... What I posit is that uh, our lives most certainly should be an alignment to a greater purpose, but little p are the things that we can do daily just to move the ball down the field, um, the things that make us proud. And, and sometimes when we do our best, our best is different every day. You know, sometimes we are just lucky that we are putting our pants on and getting out of bed because maybe we had, you know, a a night of restless sleep or, you know, sick kids or insert any, you know, ailment in the human condition. So sometimes little P is just showing up and doing the very best that we can. And at the end of the day, you know, saying, wow, I really connected with that patient today. I really helped that person. I held their hand when they were scared. You know, that's little P. That's the stuff that we do on a daily that just makes us feel proud.
Sounds kind of like Simon Sinek's Finding mm-hmm. Your Why. Yes. So you would Big say fan. the why and mm-hmm. and purpose would be mm-hmm. kind yeah. of aligned. Yeah, they're absolutely connected. Yeah, I just think that sometimes we think of greater purpose and it's almost trite. You know, it's okay, but it's, it feels very abstract. So mm-hmm. if we concentrate on Little P, just doing the best that we can every day. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Let's talk about being a disruptor because I suspect that you are still a disruptor of sorts. Yeah, uh, you know, a disruptor, I I think that aligns to culture. And, you know, culture is this, again, this abstract animal that we have in our organizations. It's like morale. You know it's there. You feel it. You know, but you can't touch it. You know, it's this thing. And culture is the same. And culture can be good or it can be bad. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of great traditions that we follow that are part of our culture. But we also have a lot of, of, of really negative ones. And so to be a disruptor means that you have to disrupt a negative culture. And, and we do that in everyday conversations, whether they be formal or informal. I'll give you a great example. When I was uh, a young cop, I was standing at the front desk, and I'm talking a brand new cop, standing at the front desk uh, with what we call the coffee clutch. There's these group of curmudgeon officers, and every morning at around the 9 a.m. coffee clutch, I yep, like that. They would come in, and they would bring their coffee, and they would all stand around the front desk, and they would complain and whine about everything. Mm-hmm. Everybody's an asshole. Can I curse on this show? Yes, well, I'm you doing can. it anyway. <laughs> everybody's an asshole. Hey, did you hear about the new promotions? Asshole. Well, everybody on the street, asshole. Everybody's an asshole, right? You know? Yeah. And I was standing there and there I am as a young cop soaking it all in. Mm-hmm. And I started to buy into it that, you know, wow, everything sucks. And this guy walks by this other cop and he says, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, ma'am. And he says, hey, what are you guys pissed off about today? And he keeps walking. And I started laughing and he was a disruptor. It pulled me right out of that moment. And I caught up with him later and I said, you cracked me up when you walked by. And he said, listen, kid, he said, you're going to sit around and you're going to hear all of that negativity. And he's like, no matter where they go, there they are. They're always mad about something. He said, surround yourself with people that are going to uplift you, not knock you down. And he, and, and that's what I mean about part of the culture. And that's mm-hmm. what I mean about being a disruptor is standing up when you know that you should be saying something but you don't, you remain silent because it puts you at personal risk, you know, of judgment, ridicule. If you say the thing, Ooh, I, you know, maybe that joke was, uh, I, I don't want to laugh at that, but you don't say anything. Or when someone says something about someone else, I mean, all you know, insert a million examples here. So disruptors come from every, every level of the organization. It doesn't have to be in a formal leadership position, but we can all be a disruptor. And for me, my being a disruptor is about my profession. I have been fighting the culture of law enforcement. We are, when we are at our best, we are very good. But when we are at our worst, we are terrible. Mm-hmm. And I've been fighting the mirrored sunglasses and attitude culture of policing as long as I've been in it. So I consider myself a disruptor and the profession that I love so much, I still want to see it get better. So I'm also a police reformer. So that's a disruptor. Mm-hmm. 
you know, let, let's go down this path of culture just a little bit more. It's, it's not only in your profession, it's in the mm-hmm. nurse anesthesia profession, too. Our CEO says culture eats strategy for breakfast. 100%. 100%. So how do you how do you change it? Just one person at a time, just yes. like this cop who walked by and said, you know, what are y'all talking about? Yeah, today? that statement is so true. And, you know, in policing, I always use the example of in our policy manual, it says thou shalt not commit excessive force. And then, you know, if someone on the street does it and they're rewarded for it, high fives in the locker room. Right. What you know, so what we celebrate is it creates that culture and policy be damned. It's that, you know, same as, as what your CEO said, is that, you know, we can have all of these procedures that we have to follow. Um, but culture is is what we practice on a daily and how we interact with each other. And the answer is yes. The the good news is is that uh, culture is comprised of, you know, in organizations and they're comprised of people. Mm-hmm. And people affect change. And so it is that and people often think that you have to attain a level of leadership in order to change culture. And the fact is you can you can commit to changing the culture right where you stand in your corner of the world just by simple things about the language that we use and, you know, and, um, you know, changing what we think is, is unhealthy about our culture. And that's where the disruptors come in. So what did you have to do as chief of police? Did you have a culture change that you had to affect or wanted to affect and how did you do that? Yeah, so the first thing I did was put a brilliant team together because no one uh, who succeeds at anything does it by themselves. And so I surrounded myself with people who are brilliant and compassionate and uh, transformative change makers. And so I believe that the culture is set at the top of the organization. Absolutely. Now, when you hear me say that, you'll say, well, then what's the use? You know, if I've got someone at the top of my organization that mm-hmm. that really contributes to the negative culture. So the good news is, is that you have your circle of control and your circle of influence. That's out of your control, but you can influence your own unit, division, you know, whatever you, you call it. Um, and so for me, the first thing I did was was screamed it from the rooftops. Here is Here are the expectations that we need to change and fix in our culture. And the first one was community engagement. I don't believe that you can drive down crime without having the community involved. And if the community doesn't trust you just as though your patients, if they don't trust you, you know, you, you can't be effective. And so the first thing I did was I gave the police officers permission to be authentically themselves. We all wear the same uniform just as you all do. And so it can be easy to fall behind this mask that we wear um, of this template of how we're supposed to act. And so I said to the police officers in my department is, I want you to be perfectly you. Bring your humor, your compassion, your empathy, God forbid, your vulnerability to this position. And, and I said, and go out there and make connections, you know, and we have to answer 911 calls because they don't stop. But in times of peace, you can go out there and have fun, have fun communicating and interacting with, you know, our residents. And I saw an amazing shift in our police department. And I started getting bombarded with emails and DMs of our residents that would send pictures of, hey, your cop stopped by and while I was taking out my garbage and, you know, took a selfie with me or stopped by and, you know, in our uh, birthday party for my kid and like all of these things they just did on their own because they were given permission to do so. So I'm super proud of that culture shift. But that's how it starts is that you have to tout what, what you want, what your expectations are. And then hopefully every Everyone then contributes 
to that changing culture. So let's talk about vulnerability. Oh, do we have to? I know. know. Don't you love Brene Brown, though, (laughs) and all of her stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you you gave them the permission to be vulnerable. What did that look like? Well, in order for me to answer that question, I have to give you a little bit of context in my foundational upbringing. Um, I was born to a Marine cop who told me. Oh, my goodness. That's a double whammy. That's right. There is no crying in police work. Mm. And he, uh, he was the reason I wanted to become a cop. And I learned from a very early age that you don't show emotion and that you suck it up and take the pain. And I bought into that for a really long time in my career. And uh, I even, as a supervisor, even said the words, hey, if you can't take it, then you get out of this profession. What a terrible thing to say to people who are struggling. And I started to realize that's not working. It really isn't working. And in, in, in the profession of law enforcement, our suicide rate is astronomical. Mm-hmm. We kill ourselves at a higher rate than people kill us. And look at any profession when people are struggling. And, you know, and look at what you all have been through during the pandemic. I mean, talk about, you know, being affected. You know, imagine if we just said, just to shut up and take the pain. You know, it's and sometimes we have for yeah, a very long time. <laughs> exactly. You know, and sometimes you've got to lean into that discomfort. So, what ultimately happened was I had, first of all, my field training officer committed suicide successfully. And uh, later in my career, I had an officer uh, attempt suicide. And this was right about the time I was becoming chief. And I said, we have to do something about this. And so this was the culture shift was, listen, guys, it's not working. You know, this suck it up and take the pain and this facade that we put on that nothing can hurt us. You know, the things that we see are very comparable to what mm-hmm. you all see. Absolutely. And, and the you worst. see them before we see them. That's right. It's the worst of the worst. And in both of our professions, we are synonymous when it comes to that is most people in a lifetime don't see what we see in a day's work, right? And so it weighs on you. It's that film reel. And so I said to my new command staff, I said, we have to change the culture and, and, you know, asking for help. And so we put together peer support teams and everybody had a a, a department issued cell phone. And on that cell phone, uh, I went to a company and uh, it's called We Never Walk Alone. We put an app on every person's cell phone and all you do is you push that button. And when you need help, you can do so anonymously and ask for it. And there will be a peer officer that can help you, or you can get connected to a mental health professional immediately. No questions asked. I, as your chief, don't even have to know about it. So we started doing little things like that. And then in 2019, February 15th, we had a mass shooting. And it was a workplace shooting. A man who was getting terminated uh, shot five people, went, went on in the warehouse to try to kill more people. And my officers showed up, and one by one, they got shot trying to stop the bleeding. And it was... That happened on a Friday, and it was on a Sunday that we had a prayer vigil. I hadn't slept for 48 hours. Mm. Um, My officers were still in the hospital. I left this prayer vigil, and I walked past one of my officers. And I remember seeing him at the shooting. And I walked up to him, and he's like this badass cop. You know, he's got, you know, full sleeve tattoos, high and tight, you know, former military. And I walked up to him, and I said, I saw you at the shooting the other day. I said, are you okay? And he looked at me and he did the proverbial head nod. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. But you knew he wasn't. And when someone says that, I implore you, ask again. So I looked deep into his eyes and I said, are you okay? 
And that man fell into my arms, sobbing in front of everyone, in front of all of his comrades, in front of everyone at this prayer vigil. And it was in that moment that I knew we were going to be okay. Because that's what we're looking for is when you're able to fall apart like that and say, this is bigger than me, then you're going to be okay. And so I think leadership at times is overrated. It's the first follower that actually starts the movement, right? And by his comrades seeing that, it gave them permission to go get help. And so we had mental health professionals. And because of of that courageous act of falling apart, courageous, and there's nothing weak about that. I will never think tears are weak for as long as I live. So I've changed my position on no crying in police work. And so it's that vulnerability that makes us stronger. Wow, that is some story. Talk a little bit about this app. Is that an app that you guys created? You don't walk alone? Or is it something that was there that y'all bought into bought into yeah it was a it's a a vendor that I found uh, that was it's actually they're from Illinois and yeah it's just called we never walk alone and it's for that it's for law enforcement um so I don't know if they've you know uh, I was just wondering uh for healthcare, yeah, mm-hmm. because we have something that is really big in our literature called the second victim, mm-hmm. and what happens is when you have a bad outcome, when you deliver an anesthetic, it, you are the second victim of that because your first. Well, I hate to say victim. Yeah, I mean because sometimes you can get things go badly even if you do all the right things, which you can probably understand that you can do everything right and the outcome is still poor that's right Um, but you still suffer yeah absolutely so we have something to we have something uh like that hello everyone jeremy here beyond the mask is sponsoring a team for halos again this year halos is an organization that offered support when sharon lost her grandchild emma two years ago Halos is a nonprofit that provides emotional and financial support to bereaved parents who have lost a child from miscarriage through age 20. It's run by parents who have lost a child themselves and want to be there for those parents that need love and support or someone who truly understands what they're going through. The only means of support for Halos is through fundraisers and personal donations. Their largest fundraiser is a walkathon, which will take place on August the 6th. Sharon will be emceeing the event. Please consider joining us and donating by going to the show notes to look for the link or by going to the Beyond the Mask Facebook page. Thank you for your consideration. You can find out more information about the 2023 Halos Walk and donate by clicking on the link in the show notes of today's episode on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. 13th Annual Memorial Walk takes place in New Richmond, Wisconsin on August 5th. So let's go, um, you talk about the three things that drive human performance. Yeah. Share those with us. That's autonomy, mastery, and purpose. That's where that Ah, motivation comes from. And I I love that. Yeah. I mean, so, but let's spend a little time on that because this is one of the problems that we have, especially, you know, with supervision is that there, if there is a lack of trust, when, you know, when's the last time you said, gosh, I just love being controlled. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Well, your husband's sitting here. So, uh, yeah. 
Uh-huh. Maybe I should ask a more pointed question. Uh, oh, listen, I, I tell people. I love I'll, being controlled. Yeah, he does. He does. And I am controlled. Trust me. <laughs> well, I tell people all the time. I went from living with one man who did control me, mm-hmm. i.e., my father, mm-hmm. to another one trying to control me, which didn't work out very well. But excuse me, we digress. <laughs> I love it. We can just turn this podcast into, uh, I have so many questions. Yes, you do. But so, so the the point is, is that we really desperately want to come to work and we want to do our jobs and we want to not be micromanaged when we do it. And so it's such an important thing, but gosh, I mean, how many supervisors have you had and you can think of them that have micromanaged you? And, and that is in, in my career, as I look back, I think that is when, you know, I was, you know, the most unhappy is when I had someone that was constantly breathing, you know, down my neck. And, and not only that, but it's, it's also their way of doing things. You know, I, I remember having these conversations with my, my sergeant, and my lieutenant It's like, well, wait, I, I'm doing it this way. And it's got a great outcome. It's the same outcome as yours. But no, I need you to do it my way. And I just remember feeling so stifled and you know, where I just couldn't even apply any creativity to my job because I had to do it one way very black and white. And so, so people want the freedom to be able to do their jobs. And the second part of that is, is mastery, is that competency. We want to continue to get better. I mean, here we are at a conference. So that tells me a lot of what I need to know about the people who are here. Most of them, I'm sure, are here on their own volition because they want to improve. And I remember I had an officer say to me, 20-something year veteran, and he said, there is nothing more that I can learn in this profession. And I thought, Mm. oh, you poor, poor thing. Mm -hmm. The day that you think that you have learned everything is honestly, I mean, the day that you need to hang it up. And so it's that environment, that culture that we create of learning, of getting better, committing ourselves to constant self-improvement. You know, no matter where we are, we can always get better at our job by brushing up on our skills, um, putting ourselves out of our comfort zone when things start to get a little mundane, um, or even fighting apathy, where you know when we show up and we're just fighting that indifference, and that's the thing that we have to fight the most is is the disease of of indifference, and so becoming inspired by learning something new listening to a podcast, which I'm sure, you know, when people tune into it, they, you know, they, they leave the podcast and go, wow, I feel kind of invigorated and inspired. That's the stuff that is the mastery, the things of just getting better. And it doesn't have to be formal education going to get another degree. It's the incremental improvements that we make in our lives. You know, the commitment to eating better. You know, I ate clean today. I went to the gym today. You know, I read a book. I listened to a podcast. I made myself a little better today. That's mastery. It's just continuing to get better. And everyone wants that. And that's what drives human performance. And then the third, of course, is what we mentioned is purpose. It's just being aligned to something bigger. And it doesn't have to be the kinds of jobs like ours, you know, in, in the, you know, the human service profession, but you know, everyone, even I I read this uh, story about a a postal worker that said that, which I think would be a very mundane job to take the mail, sort the mail, put the mail into the little boxes. Like, Mm -hmm. I think I might go crazy. And this postal worker said, Oh, I don't think of it at all like that. I think of it as every time I put an envelope, I'm connecting people from around the world. 
that's purpose, right? And yeah. so, so you can change no matter what it is that you do. You could be, you know, a short order cook and you could say, man, these flapjacks I am making are making someone so happy out there. That's purpose. And so you don't have to, you know, move mountains and, you know, be something, you know, amazing. It's just, it's the little, that's kind of the, what I mean about little P, but just being aligned to something bigger that I'm contributing to the world in some way. And that's what drives human performance. It's all about the attitude and, and being the best person you can possibly be. Yeah. I mean, not every day you're going to be the best person. There's oh going to Lord, be the bad days the you're talking about. Yeah. But, and that's, but that's what I gather from what you're saying yeah. and everything. And that brings me to Viktor Frankl's quotation mm. about freedom of choice. The greatest human mm-hmm. freedom that we have is to choose in between stimulus and response. There, There is a space where we get to choose our reaction to what happens. For uh, I, I like to give you an example. Uh, you know, you hear a lot about road rage and everything. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I do when people... You can't uh, say I, that on here. What? <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I cut them off or whatever and they, yeah. they shoot me the finger, I always just wave at them and smile. <laughs> I mean, right. mm-hmm. you know, people make mistakes every day. And, yeah. and there's no need to... Yeah be so mean towards the rest of the world that's I mean, right and and not, that goes back to what i just said be the best person you can be yeah. every single day and think about that as you bring it into your profession is that oh, yeah. you know you from you know what i've heard and in, in talking to to those in, in your industry is sometimes you've got perhaps some negative people in that room right maybe mm-hmm. some doctors that are very difficult to work with and that's what i mean about that between stimulus and response there is a moment where you can just take that breath and go, okay, I get to choose my response here and then maybe even change a culture by saying something, you know, having the courage. So it's all interconnected and that's truly, you know, what people want and what drives human performance. And so I think that that attitude, you mentioned attitude and I never, the, what the talk that I'm giving this keynote um, for this conference is about optimism and do not confuse optimism for positivity because that is like, listen, just be positive. You know what? Sometimes you're going to be given a shit sandwich. And like you said, sometimes <laughs> you can do everything right. And then here's your shit sandwich. And so, you know, like that positivity is like, well, just, just be grateful for that sandwich at all. No positivity. It's like, that's the toxic positivity, but optimism is understanding that you have a shit sandwich in your hand. Um, and it's like, okay, I've got to choke it down, you know, and yeah. it's, it's time. And so optimism, is about the hope that tomorrow can be better and I have the power to make it so. Mm, I love that. So let's go back to apathy because I think every profession fights this. And this is an ongoing question even within our community Mm -hmm. um, because you'll have the Pareto principle, Mm 80-20. Yeah, 20% 20 of the people will do 80% of the work. And the Mm -hmm. $20,000 question is, how do do we fight this apathy? And I just would like to hear it from your point of view from another career perspective. I have a feeling it's kind of similar. I'm sure it is. So, and as I mentioned, apathy is, that's the disease of indifference. I would rather someone walk into my office pissed off. I mean, just like, you know, chief, I am so mad at whatever decision you made. Because what does that tell you when someone is angry and outwardly, you know, displaying that anger? It tells you they still care. Uh, There is a lot of emotion. Anger is, is, is hurt. It's when you literally 
are, do you just are out of F's to give where you're just like, I'm done. No one is listening Mm. to me. No one is responding to, you know, maybe some of my suggestions. And again, the thousand tiny cuts, maybe it's just day after day. It's the same thing, you know, the cases and, you know, the difficult personalities and some of the difficult patients I have to deal with and some of the red tape and admin and the bad decisions and all of the things, right? Everything that contributes to it. Um, And that's what causes apathy. It's that callousness. And the one thing I told my police officers is that that is the disease that will, that's going to kill us. That's going to kill our organization. So when you don't care, when you genuinely don't care, that is when we have to start worrying. And so that is an individual challenge that we really have to, to, shine inward. We have to hold that mirror up and say, okay, what can I do? So the good part is there are strategies to pull you out of apathy. The first one is the one we talked about is that remind yourself, why am I here? Why did I choose this profession? And I've always taken my police officers back to that day, that day that they raise that right hand and you ask any cop that is worth uh, our profession why they want to be in it and it's to help people. And I know mm-hmm. it's the same in your profession. Absolutely. And so you think about that moment that you decided, I'm going to go to school and this is going to be my life's vocation. Tap into that moment because you can take yourself back there. And that's a reminder of your purpose. You know, this is why, and it suddenly kind of inspires you to get back in the game, right? And so that's one thing, and that's a pattern interrupter. You can be your own disruptor, by the way. Inside your own head, you have to have a little disruptor that lives there. <laughs> the two voices mm-hmm. in your head. <laughs> yep, that tells that other voice, okay, you need to, you know, we need to stifle you right now. So, so I think that's part of it. The other thing, and this is where I will kind of hit on a little bit of positivity, um, is that there are things throughout our days where we can find positive emotion but the, the, here's the key, and this is the big key. You have to look for it. You can be those curmudgeons standing around going, everything's bullshit, everybody's an asshole. Or you can go, you know what? I'm going to look for the good around me. And it's so easy once you commit to deliberately doing that. You can find awe. Just as I was landing here you know, in Pennsylvania, I took my phone and I did this, you know, this beautiful, we had this beautiful descent and it was right, it was at sunset. And it was so beautiful and I recorded the whole thing. And I'm like, wow, that is a moment where I just felt completely invigorated about life. Life hands you moments of awe. You have to look for them. You have to be deliberate in finding them. But in a simple matter, at the course of your day, you can find positivity. You can pull yourself out of that apathy by going to find a comrade, a colleague that makes you laugh, a positive, because transference, it's about human transference. You hang around people who are negative all day, Mm. then you too will become negative, right? You walk into a sick environment as a healthy person, you too will become sick. So now you have to go seek out. There's a person that I think is always lifts me up. Let's go have coffee. Let's grab a quick coffee break. Go find them. You know, maybe just take a moment and just breathe, you know, just get yourself in that center right before your road rage, you know? All of these things that you can find laughter, awe, inspiration, and maybe it's even reading a little passage of some of your favorite quotes, you know, or listening to your favorite song, just throwing those head, you know, headphones in, you know, AirPods in for a moment and just listening. So you can pull yourself out of apathy, but it's a deliberate choice that you have to do. Yeah, you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, I have what I call my top five, the mm-hmm. people who have the best laughs in the whole world yes. that I don't care if you're shoveling horse dong um, with them 
it's going to be fun. That's right. You know, it, you know, I've got Dana Peterson, Allison Carter, Kim Hogan, Barbara Ray. I mean, I, I know who these people are. That's right. And whenever my day is hitting the wall, if I know if I call any of these people, they'll make me laugh. Well, you left off the most important one. Marianne Medlin. No, Danielle. Oh, uh, one of our daughters. I thought you were going to say me. Yeah, well, well, that's just true. Did that. well, yeah. No, I was it, like, well, wait, what about your that, husband? That is yeah. well, no, no, it's no, not. No. It's it's not. It's it's not him. But he is right. One of our daughters, and we fondly say she's got sunshine coming out her ass. Yes, love that. Love she that. Really, that's what I'm talking really about. Does. You so, can call her. Yeah. And every the world just gets better because yeah. and and here she is. She's had diabetes since she was five years old. She's blind in one eye and having trouble with her other eye. She is, really shouldn't drive that much. She's running to the garage door and <laughs> everything else. But she's just Positive. yeah, so. I mean, so fun. I want to pause on what you just what you just said there because what you said is so important, and I don't want your listeners to miss it. Is you need to surround yourself with what I call my personal board of directors or mm. your they's. Right. It's like when you say, gosh, you know, what, what are they going to think? What are they going to think? I remember having a moment in my life where I was so worried about ridicule and judgment and what are they going to think? And I stopped and I said, wait a minute, who are these they's and why do I give them so much power? And then I sat down and I wrote out a list of they's mm-hmm. and they, and I call them my personal board of directors and they are comprised of people that when I'm on the edge of the cliff, that I call because they will make me laugh sure. and will talk me out of it. But they are also people who call you on your BS, who will say Ooh, to you, listen, baby. you are not at your best right now. You are going, you're about to make yeah. a terrible decision. But, but when you, you just rattled off a group of people that are your personal board of directors yeah. and that is uh, paramount for mental health. So for your listeners right now, I want you to, this is your assignment from me. I'm coming after you. I want you to make a list of the people in your lives that absolutely want you to succeed and are happy when something good happens to you. Genuinely happy. No sabotagers. Um, and the people that call you on your BS. And those are your people. And when you are feeling that moment kind of like where, oh, gosh, this is bigger than me. I need some help. I'm, I'm struggling with this. You reach out to your they's, your personal board of directors. Well, I have another board of directors, the ones who call me on my BS. These these people just make me laugh. <laughs> and then I have my yeah. BS okay. people yeah. that, I, that, that. I, I have a go-to with. Mm-hmm. The, w- there's a group of women, and we all met in this organization. We call ourselves the Fab Four. So mm-hmm. there's three of them. I'm the fourth one. But mm-hmm. those three, um, Tracy, Carol, and Jackie, will call me on my BS yeah. in a heartbeat. So important. We have to have that. We have to have that. And in times, you know, I always start out with, do you want me to tell you the truth or do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Yeah. And sometimes I, I, if I'm asked that question, sometimes I'll be like, you just tell me what I need to hear right now, what I want to hear right yeah. now, because I'm not ready for the truth. But we have to have people in our lives that we that really do call us on it. Yeah. And my work husband that usually co-hosts mm-hmm. with me on mm-hmm. this will call me mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and, it, and it goes back. It makes us better. It, it goes back and forth back and forth one thing we call what we were talking about earlier compassion fatigue Mm. within our profession it's like and sometimes you have to recognize that you have it like I've got a girlfriend who complains about her knee and instead of being sympathetic I'm like well you've got a leg (laughs) you know I put somebody to sleep today and we cut their leg off so be happy that your leg is hurting you know Mm. and then you have to step back and think well it is her leg, yeah. so it, mm-hmm. it's bothering her. Yes. Um, 
so I'm sure there's um, some of that self-reflection that goes on within within your community, I oh, would imagine. Absolutely. Think about, and this is what I tell my officers, how many times during the day do you take a report for theft or burglary? Someone mm. broke into your home, someone smashed your car window and took you know all of your belongings. And for us, that's just all in a day's work. That's, you know, the eighth report of the day that I have taken. But to that person, right. that victim, they are violated. A person broke into their home. I mean, they, they're not going to be able to sleep. They're afraid for their family. But for you, it's another police report, you know, and the same for you. For you, it's just, it's another case, you know, here's your, here's your schedule for today. Here's the cases, you know, and if you're not careful, you'll just think of them as cases, as these files of, you know, they're abstract. But when you think of them as human beings, mm-hmm. now there is a there is a, a line, right, where we have to protect our own hearts because, my gosh, if we just throw on all of our compassion to every single person, we're not going to have anything left for the next one. So it's about rationing that in a way that is healthy for you. And that, to me, is an individual thing. And that sort of maybe brings in all of the other things I mentioned earlier to fight apathy is like when you're starting to feel that compassion fatigue, then go find all of these things maybe to, you know, kind of invigorate you and to fill your tank again. But you have to have compassion or else you're going to become calloused, you know? And so you have to look at these individuals as human beings. That's the human condition. Mm -hmm. Well, going back to your purpose, that's what these meetings are for Mm -hmm. me. I come to these meetings and I get so excited. Our mid-year assembly, we just had our mid-year assembly, which is our big meeting in Washington, D.C. I don't need an airplane. Mm-hmm. Whenever we get through with that meeting, I could fly home yeah. with my own arms. And so for mm. the people who do not go to meetings where you've got your compadres all in mm-hmm. one place, I think is a mistake because mm-hmm. that's where you can get your energy, especially when it's flagging. Yeah, that fills your tank. That's yeah. right. And and again, that's why you have to deliberately seek that out. So when you start to see the signs of, man, I'm falling into, you know, this apathy or this indifference or this fatigue, then you have to make the deliberate decision to go reach out and to find those things that fill you up. And, um, you know, even being in flow, you know, and finding that flow state. So maybe even if, you know, your people aren't available, well, then what is it that you do outside of your work that fills your tank? What is your, is it reading? Is it writing? Is it fishing? Is it, you know, insert your hobby here, you know, go do that thing that fills you up, that puts you in flow. And you'll find that go spend time with your family, with your kids, with your grandkids. And you find that that fills your tank. So do more of that as well. So sometimes when you can't rely, you know, on, on maybe your team isn't available, then you've got to be able to do things individually for yourself. Well, as we kind of wrap things up here, because you've got to go give your keynote, I can't wait to be sitting in the audience hearing your keynote. Um, any concluding thoughts you would like to leave with our listeners? No, I just think that again that it's so funny because you know I think people are wondering what is a cop doing here talking you know at this conference am I at the wrong place what is the P in PAN is that stand for police no it doesn't Um, but no I think that I I love the idea about just our professions and how they parallel Mm -hmm. so much and you know and and, you know just talking about the pain and the suffering that we see and the worst of the human condition that we see and you know and how much of that is, you know, part of our life's work. But I think the the thing that we have to remember is that, and I'm as a, not only forget me being a cop, but as a, a person who's been through medical issues, 
I've been terrified. And I just want to remind people that it's that that compassionate hand that says everything is going to be okay. You know, you're going to go under and I'm going to be right here when you wake up. I can't even tell you what that does for someone, you know, who doesn't really understand what you guys do. And, you know, I know something is happening, but I want to really remind people of your big P purpose is that that's what it's all about. One heartbeat at a time and seeing, you know, the humanity in, in those individuals that you serve on a daily basis and let that be your inspiration is that a person person like me that you've calmed me down many times. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Keep doing what you're doing. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's been thank a pleasure. you. Absolutely. Thank you. thank you for everything you've done for your community. And it certainly is reflective of our community too. So I think that our listeners can take a lot of lessons away from what you've shared with us today. So uh, we appreciate that. And I think it's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Mass with the absent Jeremy Stanley, myself, Mike Pierce, our guest co-host. And if you like our show and want to help us grow, Pierce, can you tell our listeners how to help the show grow? The best way to help is to like the show, share it on social media, tell your friends and leave a review, but make it positive. As Jeremy says, we all know there's enough negativity in the world. Beyond the Mask is in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country and number one in the CRNA community. As I tell you every single night before we go to sleep. (laughs) Thank you to all our listeners. Until the next time. Attention Beyond the Mask listeners. We need your help. We truly appreciate you tuning in as we peel back the layers of the CRNA and APRN industries, sharing the stories that lie beyond the mask. It's your support that makes our community strong and our podcast possible. We're excited to share that Beyond the Mask has been recognized in the 18th annual People's Choice Podcast Awards. We're nominated in two prestigious categories, the coveted People's Choice Award and Best Healthcare Podcast. Our podcast isn't just about the stories we tell. It's about the connections we create with you, our listeners. And now we need your help to continue that mission. We're asking you to vote for us, please, in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Again, for the People's Choice Award and Best Healthcare Podcast. Your vote not only helps us win, but also spreads the word about our mission to demystify our corner of the healthcare industry one story at a time. To cast your vote, simply click on the link that's in the episode description. Voting closes on July 31st, so don't delay. We also encourage you to share this with your family, your friends, and your colleagues. Every vote counts, and we appreciate greatly your support. Thank you for being part of our journey and for making Beyond the Mask more than just a podcast. Here's to bringing more stories out of the shadows and into the light. So don't forget, vote for Beyond the Mask for the People's Choice Award and Best Healthcare Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com.
Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.